We've been looking um, at how to add growth rings to the tree of our spiritual lives. So we've been looking at this as sort of an example. And so you have been memorizing some scripture on this um, bookmark. So if you haven't gotten a bookmark yet, they're at all the entrances. So if you have it, get it out if you have it. If not, we're going to put the verse on the screen that is for this week. And uh, we challenged you to memorize these verses throughout these next four weeks. And so how many of you have memorized one, one of the four? All right. All right. How many memorized two of the four? How many of you are like, I'm going to get with it now. It's week three. I'm in it. I'm going to get with it right now. All right. Here's what I want you to do. Turn to someone near you and just read this. Or if you know it by heart, you can impress someone, wow them. But read this to get yourself, get your juices flowing of what we're going to talk about today. Go ahead and do that to someone near you right now. (laughs) Y'all read it to me. All right. That's all right. Good job. Give yourself a round of applause. That was great. Okay. So if you haven't started, we really want to encourage you because we believe that memorizing scripture and getting it in your heart produces growth. And so it's not just homework for homework's sake. It's because we believe that the, the word of God changes us. And so I want to encourage you to put this somewhere. I know my friend Bill put it in his uh, phone so that you can, he, when he talks to people, you can show it to them. I put it in the book I was reading. You can put it wherever you're going to see it. Maybe it's in your car, some things like that. So we're going to talk today, our third message of four, about Ephesians 5. And I want to tell you about uh, recently, this week in fact, I went into, I went to my friend's house to visit her. And when I walked in, uh, it smelled like freshly baked bread. And she was a, a, a mom of young kids, and I thought, how does she do it? You know, it was just wafting around her house, and I was immediately hungry. And so I didn't want to be rude and ask for it right away, so I waited a little bit. I tried to drop hints like, I'm hungry. Are you hungry? I mean, it's just it's like lunchtime, you know? And, um, and it was sort of this you know, delicious smell. And so at one point, we finally went into the kitchen, and um, to my great disappointment, it wasn't bread. It was a really delicious Yankee candle. It was, that was just creating it. And I was so disappointed. But it also began to get me thinking about how does Yankee Candle do that? How many of you, you've ever smelled a Yankee Candle? It's like, this is the beach in this jar. You know, it smells just like it. I picked, this is actually a knockoff, but I picked one up. It says, Veranda Breeze. I thought maybe on this, um, you know, very cold, snowy March morning, I'm not actually going to light it because some of you have allergies, but you can pretend, all right, that it smells like Veranda Breeze in here. But how do they make things smell exactly like the replica of the real thing. And so I did a little research, and Yankee Candle Company, why they're so great at what they do is because they're really good at smells. They're really serious about smells. Uh, It made me think of the time this week when I was driving in the van, and my four-year-old Haley was itching, and I said, what's wrong? And she said, it's just smelly in here. I don't don't know why she itching and smelly was hers together, but she had put that all together. And so Yankee Candle Company has dozens of, of just people that work on smells. That's their entire job is to make things smell good. They make tweaks, they make, um, they, they put ingredients in and then they refix the ingredients and they do uh, all kinds of research on what types of smells 
calm, what types of people. I think you won't be surprised at this. Um, The women are calmed by the smell of lemon, clean bedsheets, and nicely cut flowers. That's what women are calmed by. So they make candles like that. Men prefer uh, the smells of sizzling bacon (laughs) and coffee. And so those are the ones they market to men. So let me ask you a question this morning. What does love smell like? What does love smell like? If you could trap love in a Yankee candle, what would it smell like? Okay, lilacs, sacrifice. Does that have a smell? Maybe. There's, there has to be a smell. What could be a smell? I was thinking, could, would it be roses? Would it be outside after it's rained and like everything is really clean? You know that smell? Or maybe um, like the ocean on a summer day. Or maybe it's like musty old carpet because that's what happens when you're married for 50 years and you argue over the toilet seat, right? But that's love right there, is that we walked on this carpet for 50 years and we, and we didn't replace it because we want to save money for, <laughs> for something, you know? What does love smell like? Well, Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 actually talks about love smelling like something, literally. So that's the verse we just read, Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, I know we don't often capture love in a fragrance, but the scripture is saying that the act of Christ loving us and the act of Christ giving himself up for us produces a fragrant offering, a sweet, attractive smell. And I did, I did some research this week, and I looked up that word, and I thought, is this metaphorical? What do they mean by this? Is this, are they saying, you know, like, it, you know, uh, has a smell, like, if, if love had a smell, it has a smell. But no, it actually is literally saying that Christ's love, when we are full of it, when Christ was full of it, it creates a fragrant offering. So I got to thinking, what does Christ's love contain? What would create a fragrant and pleasing smell? If we could somehow capture it into a Yankee candle, what would that actually be? And the scripture says that whatever this kind of love is, it says we must capture it, we must imitate it. It says we must walk in its way. We must follow God's example. And so it's pretty important for us to understand what makes up Christ's love because God's asking us to imitate it. God is asking us to smell the same way that Christ smelled. So what does the fragrance of love contain? These are some of the things I came up with reading in the scripture this week. That God's love is a costly love. That God's love is a costly love. That he gave his own son. That Christ willingly laid down his life for his church. For you and and for me. He, He willingly did that. And if we are following God's example and we are walking in the way of love then we too must lay aside our selfishness and our pride and oftentimes our preferences and our rights in order to practice God's love towards others. In fact, loving others should cost us something if we're doing it right. It should cost us things that are hard to let go of. Secondly, God's love is a caring love. Psalm 103.13 says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. 
that God cares for us more than any earthly father ever could. And if we have the aroma and the fragrance of Christ's love, then we must care deeply for people. So, so in the aroma of Christ's love, it's costly love. It's caring love. Also, it's committed love. God's love is a, a committed love. Christ didn't go to the cross because he felt like it. He, he, he was committed to do the will of the Father, and he was committed to save his people from their sins. Feelings come and go, but commitment is the glue that, that makes love endure. Love never fails, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8. So if we are following God's example, we are committed people. So God's love is costly. God's love is caring. God's love is committed. And lastly, God's love is consecrating. God's love is a consecrating love. It's a love that is committed to seek the highest good of the one loved. And because Christ loved the church, he also purposed to sanctify the church. In fact, in Ephesians 5, uh, the verses, uh, verse 27, we won't get all the way there today, but it says, and to present her, meaning the church, to himself, meaning Jesus, as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And so what Jesus is saying is he is wanting to commit to us, he is wanting to pay the price to, to be, have a costly love and commit to us and care for us, and not just those things, but also consecrate us, which means that love sometimes hurts a little bit, that love sometimes corrects, it, it exhorts, it imposes consequences on sinful behavior. In fact, it is unloving to allow anyone to go on in their sin. You are not loving someone when you just let them wreck their life. You're not. And so it is unloving to allow someone to continue to hurt themselves if you know that their decisions are walking them down a path of destruction. And so to imitate God by walking in love, we must help each other out of the pit that we find ourselves in. We must do that. That's God's consecrating love. You know, do you ever know that when, when someone really loves you, maybe it's your, your mom or your sister or somebody, maybe it's your brother, maybe somebody in your life, you, you just know beyond a shadow of a doubt they really love you. They can say just about anything to you. Am I right? Like anything they want. If a stranger said the same thing, you'd punch them in the nose, you know? But they can look at you and say, you know, that just does not look good on you at all. And you will believe them. If someone else said that, that you didn't know at all, you, you would be so defensive and frustrated. And so when you know someone loves you, you can really take the correction from them because you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they love you. And so this scripture is saying that the genuine fragrance and aroma of Christ's love surrounds you when you're walking in the way of love. And when you exude God's costly and caring and committed and consecrated love, this is how we can have the fragrance of Christ. And this is how God loves us. He loves us with a costly and a caring and a committed and a consecrating love. And that's why in this chapter, you'll see in verse 3, this passage kind of takes a sharp left turn into some sort of specific commands uh, that he's talking about, things that people should and should not do. And that's because God consecrating love is an action. And he begins to say, you know what? I love you too much to leave you the same. 
that he loves us too much to leave us the same. It's not that he wants to kill our fun or, or, or make us feel bad or shame or guilt us. He just looks at us with this consecrating love and says, you know what? I have set up these, these hedges of protection and these boundaries, and there's a reason I've done that. And if you stay within them, you will receive life and receive it to the full. But if you go out, you're going to get hurt. And because I'm a good father and I don't want you to get hurt, let me tell you some of those rules. So let's look at them. Um, He challenges us with these verses. This is verse uh, 3 through 7. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of God, uh, kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. And so what he is trying to say in this passage is that he hates the things that hurt us. That he hates the things that hurt us. And he is a good, caring, consecrating, love kind of father. And he loves us too much to to allow us to go into places that are going to hurt us. He wants to protect us in the way that he's created. And so what it's saying is that sexual immorality and impurity and greed, that pollutes the fragrance of Christ's love. So stay away from it, because it gives off a fragrance that isn't loving, that isn't Christ's love. Now, we might not know what love smells like, but we know what it doesn't smell like. Immorality, impurity, greed, obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. So we know those things are ingredients in the fragrance of Christ's love. And so then it goes on. Let's keep reading. Uh, Verse 8 says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. So that word darkness is a condition of the heart. It's it's the way we can describe a heart. And it's having a hard heart. You know, it's interesting because this uh, passage, this this, um, book of Ephesians, was actually written to believers, So it isn't talking about people that weren't believers and are now, they saw the light. You know, you kind of always think of you went from darkness to light. You went from not knowing Jesus to knowing Jesus. And that is a metaphor for that. But in this particular verse, it is actually reminding them, hey, you are a believer. You are in Christ. You have Christ's position. If you remember from week one, you sit in the position of Christ. So live as children of the light. And live as, as you are loved in the love that God offers. And I believe that Christians, you and me, can have a hard heart. Often we have a hard heart and we don't even know it. And that hard heart is the thing that stunts our growth. That's the thing that keeps us in the same place spiritually year after year after year, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, is that we have this hardness in our heart. And the reason why that that this happens to us often is because we try to hide our sin from God. So we just won't talk about it. If we don't talk about it, it doesn't exist. (laughs) 
We, we won't bring that to the Lord because we know he doesn't like it. We know he, it's displeasing to him, so we just aren't even going to bring it to God. I saw this picture on Pinterest this week. It made me laugh. This is how you look trying to hide sin from God. You can't do it. As hard as you try, because he knows everything about you. He knows everything about the planet. And so when we ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we develop a calloused heart, a hard heart. And when we let unholy things dwell in our minds that don't honor God, honor God then this causes us to lose sensitivity. And, and I think you'll notice when you get there, because you'll be in an environment where it just doesn't bother you anymore that they're saying so much obscene language. It's just normal, just happens. Or it just doesn't bother you anymore when you're participating in that sin again and again and again. It just doesn't bother you as much anymore. And our hearts become hard when we start realizing, well, this sexual immorality that I'm dealing with is just culturally acceptable. Everybody does it. It's, it's no big deal. Or uh, I have to actually swear like that in my workplace or no one actually does what I ask them to do. It's just part of like who I am there. When I get home, I don't say it anymore. Our hearts begin to grow callous when we begin to let that sin in there and just, just camp out. And as we ignore the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, that conviction becomes fainter and fainter and fainter until our hearts are hard and we don't even think anything is wrong with our actions anymore. I remember in college, um, I, Joel and I and um, some friends, we were watching a movie and um, it has just filthy, filthy language in it. And, um, but we were, all, we were all believers, and we were watching it, and it was this great rated movie, so we went and we watched it. And, and I remember in the middle of the movie having this moment of just complete panic that I sat there and watched this movie, and none of that even bothered me at all. Like, who, what was I... What was I even, I wasn't even thinking how God would view this, how God would view us just sitting there doing that. And I went in the bathroom and I remember just weeping to the Lord, like, help me never just sit through something and, and never let myself be bothered by it. Now, I'm not saying don't watch movies, okay? Don't write me a letter. I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't watch all rated movies. I'm not, this is not about legalism. This is about my heart got so hard. My heart got so hard to entertainment that I didn't even bother me that this wasn't at all honoring to the God that I then walked out of that room and served the rest of the week. It became something just so apparent to me that I wasn't even bothered by it. So let me ask you this question. This will be the litmus test for the softness of your heart. Do your inconsistencies bother you? Do your inconsistencies bother you? If your reaction right now is, what inconsistencies? Then you might have a problem, okay? <laughs> Let me just call you out right there, okay? Because we all have them. We all have some things in our life that are inconsistent with the integrity because we will never be completely holy. We're working on that. But we even praise God this morning in our worship. God, thank you for being holy. Sometimes I think we, we don't even realize what we're saying. God, thank you for being holy. Make me more like you. That's going to mean that you're, you're going to start wrestling with the things in your life that aren't holy? Do your inconsistencies bother you? And if they don't, in, in great love this morning, I want to just give you a warning that your heart might be hard and you don't even know it. And as I'm in prayer for our church, I, 
I believe that that prophetic word that we had a few weeks ago, that the chains are falling, that the chains are beginning to fall, means that God is going to soften hearts again. And that through repentance, which is changing and, and turning ourselves, that God is going to show you the part of your heart, your heart that is hard that you might not even know. He's going to ask you to change attitudes and actions and thought patterns that you may have had for a very, very long time. Maybe even things you don't even realize aren't consistent with the heart of God. Things that you're doing that is displeasing to him, and he is going to reveal your blind spots. We all have blind spots. And he's going to start revealing them. And you know what? It's not going to feel very good. (laughs) Let me just tell you. It's going to feel sort of like you worked out and you're sore the next day. Good and bad the whole time. And he is going to make us a people where our inconsistencies bother us. That we stand before God and we say, God, I don't even know how to fix this because I've thought this way for 20 years, but Lord, it bugs me. It bugs me that I think this way. You know, I would much rather lay awake at night frustrated with my sin, not getting it right, but working on it, than ignoring it and justifying it. Do your inconsistencies bother you? All right, so Paul goes on. You want to keep going? He's kicking our, kicking our tail this morning. He says we got to walk in love. we got to smell like Jesus. <laughs> so we got to do that, and we have to live wisely. So what does that mean? What does live wisely mean? Well, let's look at Ephesians 5, 15. Skipped a few verses there. But it says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So I want you to imagine in your mind, um, you have time machined and traveled to the Alps. I have a picture here. This kind of looks like Erie, PA, actually, a little less mountainous today. And there is a narrow ridge, a very narrow ridge of snow um, piled on the top of a ledge of a rock. And on each side is like a 5,000-foot drop. And you were crazy enough to climb the mountain. And you are on that ledge, that snowy ledge, with all of your gear. And with each step, you would test the footing, right? You would make sure, like, is that good before I take that next step? Because any misstep would just leave you falling off the cliff. And so you would walk probably slowly, am I right? You would walk very carefully. You would think about where you want to do the next step before you planted it. But then when you planted the step, you would really plant it. Because you would not want to fall to the right or to the left. Because you would go off the ledge. In the English Standard Version of Ephesians 5, 15, 16, it says, Look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise. The King James says this, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. That word circumspectly means rigid. It means accurate. And in fact, if you're walking accurately, you are looking at your feet. You are looking at the road. You, you, you don't take a step until you're sure that God approves of the holiness of the matter. 
And that is what the scripture is saying. Be very careful how you walk. Be very careful how you live. Take your steps wisely. The beauty in this passage is that our Savior, Christ, went before us. And he tread the footsteps on this steep mountain already. You don't have to guess where to put your feet. You don't have to... Mm, this might not work and I'll go plunging down. You know, because Christ said, here's the path, walk in it. Here's the way I went. Put your feet in my feet. This is the pattern. This is the example. And if you walk safely and wisely in the way of love, that path will carry you straight into his presence. Because all we have to do is follow him step by step by step to get there. And walking this path and treading it in Christ's footsteps will create growth rings in your life. And they will be visible to you. And they will be visible to other people. The truth is that no great and noble and blessed life is lived without rigid self-control and self-denial. Sometimes it takes a whole lifetime to figure that out. But it really comes down to deciding who we will follow and what we will do, and it won't always be easy. But God doesn't ask us to live without joy. Two weeks ago, we talked about celebrating as a spiritual thing. That was the day I had cake for breakfast, in case you remembered. That doesn't mean we'll never have spontaneity. That doesn't mean you have to live this rigid, not fun, follow the rules life. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this, he created these hedges that are blessings because on the other side of the hedge is a bottomless swamp of poisonous, disgusting water. And if you get in there, you'll drown or get sick. And so he says, here is the hedges that I've created. Here is the steps. And if you just stay on there, your life will be full of joy and peace and truth and righteousness. The scripture actually calls it the narrow way, the narrow way that leads to life, the way that requires you to live wisely. Better to walk on the narrowest path that you know it leads to the city than be able to go wherever you want, but you're just lost all the time. If you walk that path, you know where you're going. You know the destination. You're into the presence of God. And so he's showing it to us so clearly. God does call us to a holy living and radical obedience so we can be set apart. Now, some of you might ask this question, and I think it's a great question. Uh, what about the things that aren't super specific in here? Like, what about R-rated movies? What about, um, what about listening to music that isn't Christian artists? What about spending the night at your girlfriend or boyfriend's apartment what about, um, can you drink if you're of legal age? How much can you drink if you don't get drunk? What percentage of the, if I blow into the thing, what percentage is okay? What's got, you know, or, or we kind of do this justification thing. If it's St. Patrick's Day, which is Friday, and I'm Irish, and I have a ride home, can I go to the bar? You know, we kind of make all of these things. Uh, if I'm angry and I yell at someone, but I'm right, is that okay? If I'm passive aggressive on Facebook, does it count? Does Facebook actually count? And we, we begin to ask these questions. Where, in what chapter is Facebook? God knew that would be somewhere in there because it's a, it's a huge part of our culture. But 
I think often we are just asking the wrong question. Those actually aren't the right questions. The question isn't, how much can we get away with? Or, or what is really the rule about that particular behavior? Because I don't actually see in there that this is what it says. Those are the wrong questions. The question is, will it bring credibility to my testimony? Will it bring credibility to my testimony? And let me tell you what, if you don't know, then it's a no, okay? <laughs> Just go with no, because that is a much safer step that you can take if you're trying to tread wisely. Will this action, will this word, will this thing that I do show people I love Jesus and I'm committed to serving him, or will it make them question it? And if you can answer that question and the answer is yes, this is going to show people I love Jesus, then do that thing. But if you, if, if it's no, then don't do that thing. Let me just not assume you're putting that together. Okay, don't do that thing. But if it's neutral, I think sometimes we get caught up on this. If it's neutral, well, it could, it couldn't, I, I don't really know. I think that the scripture talks about that. And I, it was such a jewel to me this week because if it's neutral, we have an easier time justifying it. But I believe that's why Paul reminds us in these verses, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And here's what I think his answer is to us, is that we can't afford to be neutral. That there's no time to be neutral. That the days are evil, the time is coming. That Christ is on his way. And you don't want to end up like the ten virgins in the scripture where some of them ran out of oil and they couldn't keep their light burning. You don't want to be that person doing that neutral thing when Christ comes, right? So there's no time to be neutral. I don't know whether it's right or it's wrong if it falls in the neutral, but who cares? Will it bring credibility to my testimony? Let's do the things that we can confidently say, yes, this will. And so I will do these things. It's not about rules or limitations. God is not trying to kill our fun. He is not trying to be religious or legalistic. In fact, in the scripture, he rebuked the Pharisees far more than he rebuked the sinners. But this is what it's about, that God is worthy of a holy life. That God is worthy of a holy life, and he must become greater, and I must become less, and so therefore, there's no time to be neutral. The days are evil. The time is coming. Make the most of every opportunity. There is no time to, to take a step that might throw you off the cliff. So walk wisely. Be, be careful every move that you make. Weigh, weigh the cost. Will it bring credibility to my testimony? So I'm going to have the worship team come back up. We're going to just end this way. Um, in Revelation 2, uh, so skipping from Ephesians to the end of this, the scripture, there's a passage that is addressed to the church of Ephesus, which is the same church that this letter of Ephesians was written to. So this passage is addressed to that same group of people. And John wrote it. So Paul wrote Ephesians, John wrote Revelation, and he says this, you have persevered, you've en you have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. 
So John says, basically, you listened. You listened to what Paul said. Paul said to, to make sure that you're, you're making sure your steps are righteous. He says, you've done good things. You've persevered. You haven't grown weary. You've endured hardships. You, you have watched carefully. You've walked in love. You've lived wisely. But John says, what I'm concerned about is you have lost your love. You've lost your motive for doing it all. And so John reminds us, it's actually not, not about how, how well you follow the rules. It's about why you follow the rules. It's about why that you come before God and you say, God, my inconsistencies bother me because I love you. Because you love me, because your love is costly and consecrating and caring and committed to me. And because of that, I want to serve you. And so, Lord, my heart is broken because I stand before you right now and I blew it. In fact, I just love verse 5. It says, consider how far you have fallen. And that brings me back to our analogy about the cliff. Even in that moment, John is saying it's like walking on a cliff and consider how far you've fallen from your path. And you're in the pit and you're looking up at the path and you're going, I know that that's where I'm supposed to be. And I know that Jesus is asking me to take careful steps. And here I am because I forgot why I'm doing it. And I forgot the motive of my heart. And it's so beautiful because in this scripture, Jesus just beckons them back. He never kicks us while we're down. I think somebody needs to hear that this morning. Never. He never shames us. He never guilts us. That's not the kind of God that we serve. But he gives us a way to change. He gives us an opportunity to change. And that's what he says here. He says, repent and do the things that you did at first. Don't forget your first love. Don't forget your motive for all of this. Don't forget the reason that you live holy is because I am worthy of a holy life. Don't forget that if you're keeping rules for rules sake, that that isn't what God is asking at all anyway. Is that walking that wisely life is smelling like Jesus and, and, and understanding that he loves us so much and that out of our love back to him, we don't want to break his heart and that is what should motivate us. And he gives us a real simple step. He says repentance, repentance, turning from those things, asking God to forgive us and turning from it brings us back into focus. And I believe repentance brings us into growth. It brings us into a position where we can grow. And so I asked Luke and the team to sing this song. It's an oldie, but it's a goodie. Would you stand actually? And I wanna make this our prayer today. And it just goes like this. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. God, let us be a generation that seeks your face. Let us be a, a church of people who want to follow you and want to get better because we love you. Not because you require all of these rules on us, God, but because our hearts will become hard if we don't come before you and ask you, what are the things you want us to change in our life? So God, give us clean hands. God, give us pure hearts. Let us not sin against you. And Father, as you make us holy, 
as you, as you show us how to take every step wisely, God, that we can become people that honor you in a way that we've never known before. God, I'm believing that you told us that the chains will fall and I'm believing that will come through repentance and through us saying, God, we want the things that break your heart to break ours. We want the inconsistencies in our life to bother us. God, I invite you in to clean me up and you don't do it with a, a shame or a, 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 a guilt or a, a finger pointing God, but you do it with a love like a father that just says, hey, Let's work on this together. Let me show you the way, and I will, and I'll show it to you with a deep, deep love, but his love consecrates us. God, change the way we think about who you are in these moments. Lord, we're trusting you, and it's in your name I pray, amen.